Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. During this pandemic, we rely on frontline workers to provide essential and important services, even when they may be at increased risk. We're going to talk to some of them on the program today. Later in the program, we'll be talking with Cache Valley Transit District bus driver Angel Christofferson and with Kayla Rood, who's worked at Smith's Food and Drug Grocery Store. Uh, we begin with ER doctor Marion Bishop. She works at Cache Valley Hospital and Brigham City Community Hospital um, and understand uh, previously commuted to Evanston, Wyoming to work in the yard there. Uh, Marion Bishop, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to be on. I'm a, a big fan of Utah Public Radio and of Access Utah for a long time. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and uh, even more so, appreciate the work you're doing. Um, oh, thank you. Thank uh, you. It's been a an exciting but a humbling time, that's for sure. Yeah. You have an unusual background. Um, you, uh, prior to your life as an ER doctor, you uh, got a PhD in English, right? Taught taught English? <laughs> I did. I, I, I didn't know that was going to come up, yeah. But I was uh, <laughs> I was an English teacher for about 10 years and then made a, a career change in my early 30s and decided to go to medical school. That's a big change. What uh, precipitated that? Um, a thousand things. Um, you know, I, I had earned this PhD, and I loved language and literature. I loved teaching. I loved getting students excited about the world. But I, I finished my PhD at a time that the job market wasn't very good. <laughs> I had a hard time finding a job. Um, I, I, you know, also was kind of at a personal crisis in some different ways and wondered what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And uh, my my father was a physician. I'd seen his his, I'd, I'd appreciated his lifetime of service through medicine and science, and some part of me thought, well, maybe maybe I could do that, and it ended up being a good call. It ended up being a good decision. I, I miss teaching, but I also really love my job now. You find it fulfilling? For sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I could imagine, <laughs> and, yeah. It's stressful, but uh, fulfilling, yeah. Yeah, it is. There's there's something about, I mean, all of medicine is pretty amazing. It's this It's this wonderful intersection between you know, human beings and their stories and just this business of being human and then how science comes into it and affects us and teaches us and can guide us. And so it's just, it's a, it's intellectually a lot of fun. And then it's interpersonally very satisfying um, to get to work with people and um, to get to be with people in difficult times and also sometimes really celebratory times. It's a you get kind of taken into the most intimate parts of people's lives, and that's that's truly a privilege. That's the, like that's the, that's the thing they don't tell you about getting to be a doctor. That's that's really special, and that that's for sure. Mm. Uh, so celebratory times. I go. There'd be stressful times for the family, right? Intimate times, celebratory times when they, I guess when they, when you're able to help them. Is that what you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. For sure. You know. I mean, like like sometimes in all the drama of the ER and. You know, pe- people people don't come to the ER for fun. They usually come because they're stressed out and it's a bad day for them. And so, like, I'm pretty accustomed to giving bad news and kind of managing not just my stress and the stress of the wonderful people I work with, but, you know, the stress of patients. But then, like, sometimes you get to do really fun things, like uh, tell a, 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 a woman who's been wanting to be pregnant for a long time that her abdominal pain isn't because of appendicitis, but it's because she's, you know, six weeks pregnant or... You know, like there, there's some, you know, or or even in a crisis to, um, you know, maybe do some difficult procedures, get a patient stabilized, and then to be able to tell the family, like, 
there was a lot of danger here, but we've turned a corner and your family member's going to be okay. Like those are the, those are the little celebrations that you hang on to. <laughs> mm. Well, I brought up uh, your background in literature. Um, I think I was heading toward your, your blog, your website, uh, which, uh, oh. so, so we get, we get your <laughs> talents there, right? you you write, you've written some very, uh, some, some great posts there. It's mariancbishop.com. People can uh, check that out. So I'll, I'll reference a couple of these as we go along here. Um, well, for heaven's sake, I, I didn't know that you were going to talk about that, but yeah, I've, the, the, the pandemic has been a nice opportunity for me to, and anyway, start doing some of, to, to, to meld the, the, the previous, uh, career with, with what I'm doing now. So thank you for, thank you for the connection to that. Yeah, that's, it's, it's, uh, um, yeah, it's great to see that, uh, get an insight into, into what you're going through, which is, I really responded to, I just want to, I'll read a, a paragraph here. This is from a, okay. <laughs> a, a post. You're, you're, you're taking the dog for a walk out through the cemetery. Uh, it's snowed and, and you, you, you're alone with your thoughts, I guess here. Yeah. Um, and so you talk about uh, being a single parent and uh, how your kids are, you know, reacting in normal ways, but reacting to stress, right? Um, <laughs> Indeed. And, and then you say this, And so the daily churn begins, an ongoing triptych of work, family, and world worries that open and shut and fold around each other, illuminating and casting shadows as I struggle to doctor, parent, and be a citizen in this changed new world. I really resonate, uh, really resonated with me. We're, <laughs> we're all trying to navigate this, aren't we? Yes. And uh, I mean, good grief. It, it's really kind of you to highlight that. And I'm, I'm happy that you connected with it, but I think that's what we're all going through. And I, part of what I loved about being asked to be on this program is that you were, you know, highlighting public transit workers and people who are working in grocery stores. Like all of us have families, all of us have connections, all of us have the need to, to, to support ourselves and, and to, you know, maintain a livelihood while we also try and be safe. And, like, it's no small trick. And I, to, to know that other people are doing it, I think, is the comfort. You know, like, I've driven to work and gone past the Cash Valley Transit worker, you know, in, in a bus, and they're wearing a mask. And I think, like, it just makes me feel less alone in the world. Like, it, it's a complicated time for everyone. Hmm. I know you wanted to give a shout out to, you know, we're highlighting you, the emergency room doctor. Uh, you worked at a couple of hospitals, but uh, you want to make sure we gave a shout out to all the workers uh, at yeah. the hospital, right? It, it takes everybody yeah. to make to make yeah. it work. Yes, thank you. The, the um, you know, I have been so grateful for the national and the local press, like, uh, calling attention to the work that I do. And I mean, I work with amazing physicians and amazing nurses. And respiratory therapists, and you know, so, so many other clinical people. But the 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 well goes so deep in terms of the support that makes the work at the hospital I do possible. You know, there are amazing people who work in environmental services or with our housekeeping staff. You know, people who keep the electricity on, people who make food so that I can work, and all all of those jobs in hospitals are kind of invisible right now. But it would be impossible for me to go to work if, uh, if they weren't doing their jobs. And I'm just so grateful for that community of people who, you know, I can rely on. Um, the, you know, I, I think ER physicians have gotten a lot of press, and in some ways rightly so, but it would be completely wrong to suggest that, you know, we can do this in a solitary way. We rely on teams of talented, remarkable people to help us. Mm. 
I know another thing you wanted to especially uh, emphasize, I'll do this now before I forget, uh, face masks, personal protective equipment. Oh. Maybe the <laughs> one of the most important things is face masks, right? Uh, yes. As a doctor, you're wearing face masks your entire shift, right, I guess. Uh, yeah. And, and now, uh, you know, John Q. Public probably ought mm-hmm. to wear a face mask. Yeah, so, you know, the first thing I would say is I completely understand how uncomfortable and difficult and how much of a hassle it is to, to wear a face mask. Um, you know, part of what I love about growing up in the West are, you know, our wide open spaces and our independent spirits and, you know, uh, like that, that strength that, that, you know, I'm proud to be a part of. But there's a, and and I understand how hard it is because, you know, I've come home you know, at the end of a shift with, like, lines on my face that don't go away for seven or eight hours and sore spots behind my ears from wearing uh, personal protective equipment. But the, 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 the thing about a face mask is, you know, it may protect you a little bit, but it will protect the other people you encounter a lot. And so wearing a face mask is really an act of service and an act of kindness that we can all do for each other. You know, in, in, in our wide open spaces, being outdoors, it's probably not necessary. But if you're going to go to a grocery store, if you're going to be at a gathering where there are lots of folks around, like, like it's, it's a really generous and kind thing you can do to say, I don't know what I've been exposed to, but whatever it is, I don't want to pass it on to you. And like, even if it's just a common cold, like, like plenty of folks are like, hey, I haven't been around anybody with COVID. You know, I, 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 I don't move in those kind of circles. My family's safe. I don't need to wear a mask. And I, I completely respect that perspective. But even for, for me to inadvertently pass on the common cold to someone who then comes along and gets COVID, that's a lot for the body to deal with. And so we can truly be protective and generous with each other simply by the hassle of wearing a face mask when we're in public. Mm. I think I was, I'm seeing. I, I, I was seeing more people wear face masks, but now that we've gone to yellow, I, I think I'm seeing that drop off again. And it's, it's made me reflect. Um, you know, especially in the in the Western U.S., we we as you mentioned, we prize or that not only open spaces but the rugged individualism, right? And we're we're not a we're not a collectivist society, <laughs> but but we're we kind of need to be right right now, right? We're all working for each other. I think so. And, and I, like, I love that rugged individualism. I mean, I, like, I'm just a Westerner at heart. My roots go so deep. But, you know, if I think back about my pioneer ancestors, like, they, they, they were experts at building community. You know, they knew how to raise barns and make quilts and, you know, deal with disease. And part of that was by looking out for each other. You know, if a family was sick, they quarantined. They didn't want to put their neighbors at risk because if their neighbors also got sick, there was nobody to take care of them. You know, so there's this there's this balance. We should we should never let go of that wonderful kind of rugged can do spirit. But you know, we need our neighbors as well. So it's 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 kind of a, a fun thing to think about, you know, how to how to sustain both ends. If you just joined us, we are talking with frontline workers. We're talking with ER doctor Marion Bishop, uh, right now. She works at Cache Valley Hospital uh, in Logan uh, or in Cache Valley and uh, Brigham City Community Hospital. Uh, later in the program, we're going to talk with um, Cache Valley Transit District bus driver Angel Christofferson and Kayla Rood, who's uh, worked at uh, Smith's Food and Drug. Um, so, Marion Bishop, uh, you you wrote a, a very touching blog post titled Moral Compass, circa, circa 1941, talking about your grandfather. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Connecting to times of stress in our nation and... Uh, and uh, people, you know, you're reflecting on your grandfather going going off to war. Well, well, so 
you know, like a lot of people, I, I have kind of deep family roots and connections that I'm really proud of. And as kind of, you know, I watched what was happening in China in late January and early February and understood that it would probably come to the U.S., I found myself thinking about my paternal grandfather a lot. He was a he was he joined the National Guard in the Great Depression and uh, just to, partly to make a living. And by the time World War II came along, um, he'd accrued enough hours that he wouldn't have been required to serve. But he was also had a leadership role in his local unit. And he and he said to me, he said, I just couldn't see collecting that pay for all those years and then not showing up when it was time to do my job. And that example was just so like moving and stabilizing to me as I kind of anticipated going to work in the ER. Um, you know, I knew that there would be like, and maybe this is a moment to say that the hospital systems I work for have just kind of Herculean efforts to keep me and my coworkers safe and to keep the patients safe who come there. But it's not without worry and it's not without risk. And I, I really was able to lean on that memory of my granddad. It, like it was never, it never occurred to me that I wouldn't go to work. I'm really proud of my training and happy to do my job, but it made me feel a lot less alone, you know, thinking about other people at different moments in time who've made difficult decisions to serve. Hmm. And, you know, it's not, I mean, it's not a irrational worry, right? Because we, we have been losing doctors <laughs> and, and nurses, right, to, to COVID. Yeah, yeah it, it's not. You know, as the pandemic has gone on, We've gotten smarter about how to protect ourselves. And, you know, once again, I have to thank my hospital system for that. Like, I, you know, I have adequate PPE. I have training in how to wear it. I know how to protect myself and my family. But it's not 100%. You know, you can you can give give a soldier a weapon and, you know, arm them well. But they're, they're, they're still sent into harm's way. And, you know, so it was, especially in those early days of the pandemic, you know, for for a long time, we wondered if in, in you know, the Intermountain West, we would see a surge, you know, our own version of what has happened in big urban centers on the East Coast. And, you know, that was really something to contemplate. Um, I updated, you know, made sure my will was in order and, um, you know, gave copies of, you know, precious documents to friends to hold in case I, you know, got sick and couldn't protect my family. And, and, and I wasn't the only, you know, the only person on the front line that had to think about that and consider how to handle those issues. Did you, I don't know sure how old your kids are. Did you have a conversation with, you know, you'd have to be appropriate <laughs> or uh, yeah. do you have a conversation with them or, or do you, or do you just I make did. preparations and okay, you had a conversation. What, how'd that go? What, what, what did that, that look was, like? That was one of my hardest moments as a mother. Um, I, uh, I have an 11 year old daughter, and um, she, she, her dad and I are divorced, uh, but she lives with me. And he's been a great collaborator, collaborator throughout this process. I'm grateful for that. But then I also have a, a five year old son um, that I adopted as a single parent, a wonderful opportunity that came along as a surprise a few years ago. And so I sat them down and kind of explained what my role was going to be. And tried to give them a lot of reassurance about my training and how I'd been prepared to keep us safe and how I was proud to use my training. But I also let them know the plan for if, you know, if I, I let them know a plan for if I got sick, who the caregivers would be, and I let them know a plan for, you know, if, if I got sick enough and died, who the caregivers would be and who would take care of them and who they could ask questions to. And mm. 
And then we went the rounds of, you know, their questions about that over the course of several weeks. Um, and, uh, you know, well, Mom, what if this happened or what if that happened? And, um, and it, it, was a, it was a hard experience. But, you know, part of what I want to say is that this is a moment that has put so many families into. Like, it's, it's not just me, but it's, it's required a deepening of our thinking about what it means to be a parent and what it means to be part of a community and what it means to support each other and how to care for our children at this crazy time. Mm. You know, I, I feel solidarity with all the other parents of small children who are trying to make a living and, um, and want to come home for their kids and keep them safe. Do you think that could be a silver lining coming out of this? Do you think that'll be lasting or can be? I, I, absolutely. You know, I, I um, you know, I, I mean, for, <laughs> this is a kind of a silly thing, but I, you know, I have a neighbor who's a good friend. I guess it's not a silly thing. It was an important thing. Like, I wrote down all the passwords to, you know, bank accounts and my, you know, my how to get on my phone and where my will was in the house. And I sealed it in an envelope, you know, with a letter to my kids and took it to a neighbor who has it. And, like, the kind of trust that I was able to place in her and that she felt from me, you know, like, tightened up, you know, already a wonderful friendship and, um, you know, made me feel a lot less alone in the world. And it made my children feel that way. You know, and she, she's going to get to keep that envelope, you know, until I die when I'm, you know, 103, I hope, right? Like, <laughs> I, hope hope, not necessary yes. in, <laughs> I hope it's not necessary until then. But, but I'm, you know, if, if all of us are having those kinds of conversations with people that we trust about how to take care of people we love, like, I think that will persist. Hmm. You, you, have, you have a phrase in this blog post, by the way, MarianCBishop.com. Um, you, you talk about the late-night company you've been keeping with your grandfather. That I guess that's one yeah. way to find strength, you know, reaching back to our progenitors and uh, the, knowing that they went through some very hard things. Yes. I, I like there's, there's another post I'll write at some point called why we need old people right now, <laughs> because, you know, like these these generations who, you know, uh, I mean, the, the people who lived through the, the great influenza, like in 1916 through 1920, they're they mostly gone, but but some of their children aren't. And then those people who lived through the Great Depression and through World War Two and uh you know, through the Korean conflict and through Vietnam, and I, I don't mean to keep invoking war, but but these people who have, have like, truly known what it means to suffer on an individual basis and, and how the pain of that, you know, kind of affects a family and an individual, but also what it means to go through that collectively as a community, like, like we need their wisdom right now, <laughs> you know? Uh, you know, what does it mean to do hard things, not just for an afternoon, but day after day after day? And what does it mean to do them when we don't really have an end in sight? Like, how do we draw strength when there aren't easy answers? You know, who who do we turn to? You know, when 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 I can't have good news that will give me peace of mind, you know, how can community and relationship and connection to other human beings, even if it's over the phone or over the Internet, kind of build a web of support to help get us through this. Hmm. Well, that, that's, that's what I learned from looking at my granddad or looking at other grandparents who served in the South Pacific or, you know, um, you know, we all have these stories of, uh, you know, of, of 
you know, family members or, or people in history who, whose experience speaks to us, and we can lean on their example at this time. Just have uh, five or so minutes left in the conversation. I want to uh, bring us back to the the pandemic and maybe the science. And you know, uh, you as a doctor yeah. can can talk to us a little bit about this. Of course, going into this, what we were wanting to do is flatten the curve, right, so that the system didn't go get overwhelmed. Um, it looks like that, you know, at least the curve is now decreasing in some places. Uh, still, still danger, but um, I think there is a danger that we all. Or, or enough of us lose patience with the process, right? Yes. And, and you know, understandably so. Like, I have two small children. Like, we're, we're all crazy. We're crazy. Like, it's, what, what we've been asked to do is incredibly difficult. It's effective, but it's incredibly difficult. And, and what I would, when I've talked to people sometimes about that whole business of flattening the curve, like, like we flat, flatten, our survival as a community depends on having access to hospital services. And if we, if we overwhelm hospital services by too many people getting sick at the same time, that's when more people start to die. And so we flatten the curve so that people can have access to community services, but the volume under the curve, the number of patients under that curve, remains the same. So with these low waves, people like the same number of people are just going to get sick. We're just trying to alter how and when they do so that they will, so that, so that our, we have have the resources to take care of them. And so. That then, you know, like, because this virus didn't just go away. Like, it hasn't, it hasn't uh, disappeared. And so my sense is that there are going to be some bigger and some smaller waves across the next, you know, year or two until we have a cure or a vaccine that kind of pop up from time to time. And we might be asked to tighten things down and then have the freedom to open them up. But the... The virus didn't disappear. We just were profoundly effective at kind of smashing it down um, and not all of us getting sick at the same time. I'm not sure if that answers your question. Yes, yeah, definitely. Um, Again, putting your doctor hat on, what... Yeah. What should I, uh, I? I think you can go to coronavirus.utah.gov, right? For that's one yeah. place to go. Uh, what if I feel like I have symptoms that that might be COVID nineteen? What sure. best to do? Yeah. Well, for, first of all, let me say that I think the state has done a terrific job. I'm grateful for Governor Herbert. I'm grateful for Dr. Angela Dunn. I think their guidance has been spot on. And then I think the local hospital systems have been terrific at 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 following that guidance and helping prepare us. Um, HCA Healthcare that I work for has done that. But I, I would, yes, so people can people can go to reputable websites like um, the one you just mentioned. They can also um, call their primary care physicians. Um, hospitals have done a terrific job at, you know, providing telephone and telemedicine video access to doctors, but also to making doctors' offices and emergency rooms safer. Um, you know, my ER is open 24-7, and I would much rather have somebody come in and say, I'm a little scared, um, what do you think of these symptoms, than stay at home until they're so sick that we can't help them. And so, um, you know, while I appreciate people's effort to stay out of the emergency room, at the same time, we don't want anyone to be harmed because they're not seeking help. And so, um, you know, call, call your primary care doctor make an urgent care visit, um, come to the ER. We we want to see you. We want to help you. And we're getting better and better at doing it all the time. Mm. 
Finally, uh, so when you go home, you got your kids. Uh, there, you mentioned stir crazy. I think we're all we're all called stir yeah. crazy. What uh, what what do you do? What did you get the kids out and take them on a walk or what? What do you do? Yes, I I, I worked in Evanston the other day, and a nurse that I hadn't seen you know since I'd been there in March said, "You look so tan," and I said, "Well." I like, what do you do with your children in a pandemic? You spend lots of time outside. So, um, yeah, we have hiked. You know, we are so fortunate in the Intermountain West to have these wonderful outdoor, you know, we just have, have a wealth of, of, of outdoor resources. So, you know, we've hiked, we've walked the dogs, we've ridden bicycles, you know, we've we've taken drives. You know, there's kind of a, uh, if everyone goes to the bathroom before we leave home, like how far can we get before we have to turn around? We've kind of become expert at that, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, and, uh, that sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. Public public bathrooms are getting safer, but especially mm-hmm. early on. And I, and you know, my kids have also. We have some wonderful neighbors that live right next door. Um, you know, when we couldn't get close to them, you know, my kids would go in the backyard and jump on their trampoline. The neighbors would jump on their trampoline, and they would play together over the fence. So I, I think, like, I think there are as, as many ways to combat that kind of stir craziness as there are, you know, families and smart parents. But I think all of us can, can be creative about, you know, what can I do safely? And as we look at this, I think we have to look at this as a marathon, not a sprint. And, you know, what, you know, using my own kind of each parent, using their own background and their own sense of things, you know, what are the things that are the safest and the most valuable for my parents or for my children so that we can stay in this for the long haul? Because it's going to be with us for a while. And then carefully picking, picking activities that, that feel safe for your family to do. Mm. Yeah, great advice. Well, we're at the end of this segment. Uh, uh, we've been talking with emergency room doctor Marion Bishop. And again, a shout out to all the workers at the hospitals uh, where she works, uh, not just the doctors. Uh, they're on the front lines as well. And you can uh, find her uh, interesting blog posts at MarionCBishop.com as well. Marion Bishop, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It's really an honor and a, and a privilege to come and uh, or to talk with you. So thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you for the work you're doing. Appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, we are going to be talking with uh, Kayla Rood, who's worked to, at the grocery store, Smith's Food and Drug. They're, they're on the front lines as well. Later in the program, uh, Cache Valley Transit District bus driver Angel Christofferson. Uh, stay tuned. The last few years in Utah and surrounding areas, many orchards and home gardens experienced a bacterial outbreak of fire blight. Fire blight is a disease affecting apples, pears, crab apples, flowering pears, hawthorns, and a few other species. The damage it causes appears as if the branches and twigs have been burned with fire and the leaves turn a telltale black or rusty brown. Since the disease can overwinter in infected trees, using an antibiotic or copper-based fungicide during bloom season can help prevent new infections this year. Use every five to seven days or after each rainstorm during bloom period. Good pruning practices will all help keep your trees healthy and free from infection. Support for The Garden Spot comes from Logan Extermination, serving Cache Valley for over 45 years, offering year-round pest control, lawn, tree, and shrub maintenance. Information at loganextermination.net. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. During the pandemic, we're relying on frontline workers uh, to provide essential and important services to us, even when they may be at increased risk. 
Later in the program, we're going to talk with uh, Cache Valley Transit District bus driver Angel Christofferson. Right now, we bring in uh, Kayla Root, who's worked at uh, Smith's Food and Drug. Uh, grocery store workers are definitely on the on the on the front lines. We we have to buy groceries, right? Uh, so, Kayla Root, welcome to the program. Hi, how are you? Good. How about you? I'm doing all right. Good. Uh, so, where you uh, you're not currently working for Smith's, but you you did, right? Yes, I worked from them from the beginning of January until the end of April. Okay, and where was the where is this? Just down in Bountiful. In Bountiful, okay. Um, so definitely, you know, during pandemic times, uh, when this first started, the, the pandemics, you know, kind of ramped up, um, and you're working in a grocery store, interacting of necessity with a lot of folks. Did you feel nervous? Yes, extremely. It got very panicky, very quick, and it was very unexpected. Yeah. What uh, what measures did uh, I imagine Smith put in some procedures? Did did, did everybody wear face masks or what uh, what happened? So it took a while to get some decent procedures. I feel like um, when things first started happening, they're just like, oh, just like deal with it because it was mostly like the toilet paper and big essentials that were going crazy. Um, and then eventually they realized that it was bigger than it was. So then they start putting in like um, different hours. And eventually they did get masks and gloves. Um, we did run out of like hand sanitizer a lot. And so that was a big issue. Um, and then we did like the floor signs and all of the procedures that a lot of stores are following now. Yeah, the, the signs that tell you to kind of it makes each aisle one way, is that the kind of thing? Yeah, that no, that no one listens to. <laughs> that no one listens to. That's right. <laughs> I, I sometimes I'm I'm walking and then I and then I look down at the floor and I think, oh, I'm going the wrong way. I know. It's like, oops. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do, do you feel like the the customers are uh, maybe taking a while to take it seriously? Are, there, are you seeing customers or did you see customers with face masks? Are they they seem to be taking it seriously. Um. When I was still working there, it was about 50-50 where you would see customers with masks and, like, even more, like, they would have sunglasses on, full gloves on, like, they would be hyped up in gear, um, but then the other half just didn't care. Mm-hmm. We're, and we're, I've shopped there since, and it's gotten worse. Hardly anyone's wearing masks now. <laughs> yeah, it seems to be going the other way now, uh, back the other way. Um I was in a crowded, I was in Lowe's the other day, oh, this is about three weeks ago, and uh, boy, it was crowded. Everybody was trying to social distance, but <laughs> it's tough with that many people in the in the store. The, the, the one oh, bountiful, yeah. was that was it pretty crowded sometimes? Oh, yeah. They, um, they said that they were going to limit how many people came in the store, but they didn't do it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be so hectically crazy, especially when... We were opening at like 8 a.m. And so people would be waiting at the doors for us to open and they would run in trying to get everything that they could with before it got taken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those were some crazy times, right? Uh, toilet paper, hand sanitizer and, and such. Did you uh, I, and I can I didn't go. I could envision it being sort of like Black Friday, right? People just rushing in. It, it really was. And I worked. um Clicklist, which is like the online shopping. And so we were just overloaded with people ordering online to get us their groceries. And so we were having to come in at like midnight sometimes when we usually would come in at 4 or 5 a.m. just mm-hmm. to be able to complete orders. And sometimes we weren't able to because 
it on top of customers coming in and the online orders, we just were running out of supplies. And it felt like it was a Black Friday every day. Mm. So you said you did online shopping. So you go around and gather stuff up uh, according to people's orders online? Yep. Yeah. Um, so I, I wondered, that must have, you know, going to work, I guess, did it feel a little bit dangerous then? Yeah. It was definitely um, anxiety-ridden every day. Um, it's part of the reason I left, just because it just felt like it was always, I was always putting myself at risk, and then the others that I live with, just because of, I I worked at, I work at the biggest, worked, I guess, at the biggest um, Smiths in the area, and so we had a lot of customers coming in, and so it just felt like, especially with how um, uh, inconsiderate they were being, that I was putting myself on the line for something that didn't feel like I needed to. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned one of the reasons you quit was to to not put the people you lived with at risk, because that's a consideration, too, these mm-hmm. days, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I have a mom that cannot, like, lose her job right now, and I'm like, I don't want you to accidentally get this, because if you do, she'd have to be home. Yeah. That, I mean, that's that's part of the stress, isn't it? We we have to, we, we didn't have to before, but now we have to make these considerations, these decisions. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and it's frustrating when you see people that aren't being considerate, and you're like, wait, please? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, leaving aside the, you know, the professional, the job part of it, um, what are things like in general, you know, at, at, at home? You, I guess you have to be careful. Um. Just trying our best to limit who we see and how many times we go out. Just the normal kind of things that everyone is saying we should do. Yeah, the new normal, I guess, right? The new normal, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, it, you know, the the state is, is issuing guidance for kind of a sliding scale, moving toward hopefully normal, whatever that'll look like. Mm-hmm. Again, have have you made changes according to that within in your in your home? Are you are you opening up, loosening up a little bit, or or not? Yeah, so I've seen a couple friends um, that I know have been safe, and then we had like a little small family gathering, um, but that's about it. We don't want to get um, like my nieces and nephews at risk, um, or. You know, we don't want to, we still are trying not to spread it our best, but we want to be able to see the people that we love and care about um, safely. Yeah. Uh, well, well, thank you for taking a little bit of time with us. We, we appreciate uh, you sharing your experiences. Of course. Thank you. Uh, we've been talking with Kayla Rood, who uh, worked until recently at Smith's Food and Drug in uh, in Bountiful, uh, definitely on the, uh, the front lines there. Talked about some considerations and the, the things that she's been thinking about as we navigate this uh, pandemic. Uh, we'll take another break, and when we come back, we will uh, conclude uh, with a conversation with Cache Valley Transit District bus driver Angel Christofferson. More following this. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and utahhumanities.org, improving communities through active engagement with the humanities. You may have heard Utah Public Radio and Bridgerland Audubon Society are presenting the Grown Native for Birds Bookmark Art Contest. All of Utah's wild birds rely on native plants in the wild and in our parks and gardens. This art contest is celebrating that beauty 
The winning design will be printed on an educational bookmark that will be distributed to Utah libraries, local fourth graders, and online available for you to download. For all of the details, go to upr.org. We're featuring uh, frontline workers uh, during this pandemic on Access Utah today. We've talked with emergency room doctor Marion Bishop, uh, with uh, Kayla Rood, who until recently worked at a grocery store. And uh, now we're going to talk with uh, Cache Valley uh, Transit District bus driver Angel Christofferson. And I reached Angel Christofferson by telephone earlier this week. So how long have you been uh, driving? For uh, for I've Cache Valley, driving a bus for CVTD for three years now. Uh, how 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 is it as a job? Uh, how is driving a bus? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually really enjoy driving, so it's been a lot of fun. Uh, when I first started, I was a little nervous just because it was a really big vehicle and I wasn't familiar with it. But um, it came easier than I thought it would. So it's been good. Yeah, yeah. It is a big vehicle. Uh, I imagine uh, part of the enjoyment is is the people, or no, I guess some people can be a pain, but others are good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, I definitely enjoy um, interacting with the public and passengers and all of that aspect. I also enjoy the fact that I feel like um, I'm able to serve my community a little bit more apparently through my work, and I appreciate that as well. Tell me a little bit about that. I guess uh, people who wouldn't ordinarily have transportation are able to get that with with CVTD. Yes. Um, So CVTD is actually a fare-free system, and so we service uh, Logan City as well as uh, surrounding cities in Cache Valley, and it helps um, USU students be able to get to their classes and help people be able to get to work that don't have other forms of transportation. And the fact that it's fair free, I think, really helps the community in general um, just keep flowing and working together. So a community service um, and enjoying the public, that kind of takes on a new tone, right, during, during the time of a pandemic when you're you're sitting in a in a in a bus, and uh, I guess people once they get on, they're not right next to you, but entering and exiting, they're pretty close to you. Um, yes, uh, and actually, a few weeks into the pandemic and the the stay safe order from the governor, CBTD changed the policy um, on entering the bus that passengers, if possible, would enter the back door of the vehicle just so that we could protect our drivers and make sure that we could continue service to the community for as long as possible. Um, Because our concern was if our drivers started getting sick, we would have to reduce or shut down service completely, and we wanted to prevent that. Um, So I thought that was actually... uh, I appreciated seeing the company care about the employees in that way as well, to be able to try and protect our drivers from getting the virus. Yeah, so that that is a good option. Uh, uh, and as much as possible, are people doing that, entering and exiting through the, the back doors? Yes. Um, the only passengers that 
use the front door are passengers that need ADA assistance, so passengers using chairs or walkers, um, things of that nature where they need the the bus either knelt or uh, the ramp used in order to get onto the bus because that's only at the front door. Mm -hmm. Is that what you call it, having the bus kneel? Uh-huh. Yes. I, I, I heard no. the, you, you do the pneumatics and it goes down, right? Uh, I never yeah. knew what the, if, what the, there was a name for that. I guess there is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it makes sense. <laughs> you're, you're kneeling the bus. Um, yep. And I've seen the, the drivers wear masks. Is that the, is that policy? That is actually also a policy. We are requiring all of our drivers to wear face coverings. And currently we also require passengers to wear face coverings since it's a lot harder to ensure social distancing on a bus and in that atmosphere. Um, So as the CDC recommends to clarify, so like children under two and and following the regulations that the CDC has set, um, if you're able to wear a face covering, we require you to wear a face covering. Mm. Right. Uh, so the early days, you know, shelter in place, I, I just peering into the bus, I, I I felt like I wasn't seeing that many passengers. Was that the case? Um, that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, once the virus uh, started to spread and a, a lot of the initial panic was happening, people stopped using the bus system unless they needed it. Mm-hmm. So the the routes that we've been running throughout the pandemic and the places as we, that we've been servicing the most consistently have been like grocery stores and work and hospitals. Um, and so the passengers that have still been using the system have been using it to get to essential places in order to keep moving through the pandemic as best they could. Mm-hmm. I don't but know if a lot of the, sorry. Yeah. No, go a ahead. Lot of the go ahead. riding has mm-hmm. definitely gone down and the people just riding for a day to to have something to do hasn't happened as much. Do, do you get that or you have gotten that people uh, just want something to do they ride the bus? Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it yeah. happens. Um and I mean going for a drive is a, a relaxing thing to do. Um, and if you don't have a car, then riding the bus is the next best drive you can have, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So that that does happen, but it hasn't necessarily been happening with the pandemic mm-hmm. and everything going on around that. And I guess the decision could have been CPD, uh, CBTD just closed down, but they they made the decision, well, we, we want to provide essential transportation, I guess. Yes. Um, as a critical infrastructure, we wanted to provide service to as much of the areas we service for as long as we could, um, and then just take precautions to provide safety for our passengers. Like we clean and sanitize our buses every night, and we try and clean and maintain uh, the transit center and different areas that are common. Uh, gathering points, I guess, for passengers and people that we're wiping down handles and we're trying to keep things as sanitized as we can throughout the day so that we could prevent spread but still continue to serve the community. Mm. 
Do you, uh, of you, uh, things are loosening up a bit now, but uh, early on, did did you did you sense uh, passengers were nervous? Were they trying? Because you, you'd you'd naturally try your best to to distance from your fellow passengers. Right. Um, I think people in general have responded to COVID nineteen and this whole pandemic differently, and so you could tell. Um, depending on your passengers, how um, concerned they were personally. Like, we've had passengers wearing masks long before we were asking it of our passengers to wear masks, and we've had drivers wearing masks before we were requiring it um, just because for their personal safety, they felt like they needed that, and um, we respected that and encouraged it um, and different things like that. And so... You can see in relation to, like, when passengers get on the bus where they choose to sit. If they're sitting closer to people or further away, you can kind of tell how concerned they personally feel and how they're responding to the virus. But I appreciate that we've allowed people to respond to it in a way that they feel safest as best we can, Mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Do you, uh, now with kind of easing of restrictions, do you are you seeing an increasing um, numbers of passengers? Yes, our ridership has definitely gone up. Um, it's still not what it normally is for sure, um, but it has gone up, and I'm sure it will continue to increase. Um, hopefully, if we continue to do, you know, our our normal procedures that we've been doing and that passengers are doing the social distancing. And um, even in yellow, we're still requiring face masks of our drivers and passengers to prevent a surge um, of the virus and the spread. So Mm. uh, hopefully as it continues to die out, we'll be able to see more and more riders and get back to our usual numbers. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, if I put myself in your place, you know, I'm in an enclosed vehicle all day, even though you're doing precautions, I can see myself feeling it, even with a mask, you know, and passengers with masks feeling a little nervous. Did you feel nervous early on? Do you still feel a bit nervous? Um, that is an excellent question. <laughs> um, Hmm. I I recognize the risk, and I take that into account. My uh, general behaviors, right, trying to avoid touching my face and um, different act, social distancing, washing my hands, all of that, and trying to remain um, as healthy as I can be. Definitely, I've been a little more thoughtful and aware of that behavior, for sure. Um, I don't think I have necessarily felt um, a need for panic. I feel like um, the drivers and my coworkers and my company have been pretty clear on um, expressing what we're going to do to help prevent the spread, but also in in helping and presenting that in a way that allows us to not feel fear, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I've felt the concern, um, and I've definitely been um, made aware of it and encouraged to be aware of it, um, but I haven't necessarily felt anxious 
about the situation. Um, but I, I know other drivers that have felt more anxious about it, and um, I've talked with them in relation to that and how they've handled um, that anxiety in different ways that they've chosen to take care of that. Mm. How, how are the, of course, precautions? You try to get the, you know, you try to get the risk down to what you feel is a manageable uh, level. How, how else are they taking care of that anxiousness? Um, so actually, recently uh, at work, they have created a peer suggestion box. So that drivers can anonymous, anonymously suggest different activities to all of the coworkers that we have that have helped them um, with anxiety or to help feel a little more normal with this kind of weird sense of normal, right? That with the new normal that's been kind of hard to adapt to, and so. That's actually been an interesting um, project that we've been working on here and seeing what different drivers have done throughout the pandemic and different hobbies that people have picked up or activities that they enjoy, like going for drives or hiking. Uh, Cross-stitching was a suggestion. Video games obviously came up. Um, Different things like that were... Uh, we have one driver that's just been reading a lot of books, you know, that helps them kind of get distracted and kind of take a break from what's going on right now and different things. So I've actually really enjoyed the 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 peer suggestion, support suggestion box. That's what they call it, the peer support suggestion box and the different drivers that their comments that have been put in. Yeah, it sounds like a great idea and some great suggestions there for for probably for anybody. Um, finally, do you, uh, does this, do you, when you go home, right? We're all dealing with this all the time. Maybe we're not in a situation like driving a bus or a medical worker or whatever it is. Um, we all have to deal with this in our personal lives. How are, how are you dealing with that this uh, at home? Um, at home, I've, I've been really grateful that I actually have a job that ha- I've been able to work through the pandemic because currently I live alone. Um, and so it's been a lot harder for me to not be able to go and do things with my friends or my family and to have that general socialization um, because I don't have it in my home. And so I've been grateful that I've just been able to come to work and still kind of associate with the public and with coworkers and people um, because I've definitely felt the social distancing when I go home from work because I've been trying to maintain that going home and not necessarily going out and doing things unless I need to and different things like that um, to prevent me from getting sick or to prevent my coworkers from getting sick general precautions, right? Um, So, like, I've been pen-palling with my little nephews that are, like, 10 and 8, and, like, they're quite young, so that's been fun, and um, I've been trying to still reach out to people, even though I can't uh, spend time with them in person necessarily, but I definitely, I felt the struggle at home, um, and I 
I um, and I'm grateful that I've had so much support from work throughout that process. If that makes sense. Yeah, and that's an interesting aspect, right? Work is work is an important part of our lives in a lot of times, and uh, heart goes out to the, you know increasing numbers of people who are unemployed. That's a that's a big factor. Yeah, I uh, yes. I have I have so many feelings for the people that have have been unable to maintain their jobs through the pandemic or the different situations that have so many people have been put in, you know, like this must be so hard in so many different ways for so many people and um it's been interesting to see how communities are kind of coming together and different things that you hear about that are encouraging connection while still distancing. Like um, people are putting like teddy bears in windows for little kids to find on walks around the town or different things like that were to kind of help the community be united while still having to stay home, you know? Yeah. yeah those are great ideas. Important to, to stay united. Talking with Angel Christofferson. She uh, is a driver for uh, Cache Valley Transit District performs that important service uh, for us in, in that way on the front lines here. Appreciate her perspective. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, thank you. And we thank you for joining us for the program today. Thanks to all of our guests uh, on the program today. Thanks for the work that they're doing. Uh, coming up tomorrow, a very interesting uh, program. Uh, we'll be talking with the director of USU Center for Anticipatory Intelligence, uh, Ginny Johnson. That center looks across all disciplines to spot threats posed by emerging technologies. Uh, two students in that program predicted a novel zoonotic outbreak last year. We're going to talk with Jeannie Johnson, also uh, Matt Barrett, Director of Analytics for USU Space Dynamics Laboratory, and a couple of uh, CAI students. That's the program tomorrow. Utah Public Radio is a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan. Also heard at upr.org.